0: From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Russia allegedly paid bounties to the Taliban to kill U.S. troops in Afghanistan. The U.S. has known about this allegation for some time, and some connected to the White House and the intelligence community say the president wasn't briefed on it because it didn't necessarily rise to the level that it should have. But former National Security Advisor John Bolton disagrees, and tells Target USA...
1: There's never a verified block of granite that uh, you know absolutely to be true. So this idea that if only it had been verified, they would have told the president, is a false
0: standard. That's just not the way it works. John Bolton, and more from his book, Room with a View, on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. DC is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals.
2: Decryption successful.
0: America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. For weeks now, the intelligence community has not been officially talking about a story that everyone else is, especially here in Washington. The allegation that Russia paid bounties to the Taliban to kill U.S. troops in Afghanistan. The intelligence community knew about it, and there have been yet unanswered questions about how much President Trump knew and when. There are new reports that some senior leaders in the military are not convinced that Russian intelligence actually paid the bounties. Amid all the uncertainty about what happened or did not happen, is the question, should the president have been briefed? Former National Security Advisor John Bolton, who has a new book called A Room with a View, talks with Target USA, about his somewhat turbulent time in the White House, and this bounty situation is one of the issues that comes up. The first question was about the book. Sir, could you just tell us why you decided to write this book?
1: To lay out what had happened uh, uh, during the time I served in the National Security Council, uh, to underline my conclusions that I didn't think uh, President Trump was a conservative, uh, which many people believe, but which I think is inaccurate. Uh, And I didn't think he really he was up to the job as president. And uh, I've laid out a lot of facts for people to take a look at. Uh, The the people are the ultimate judge. They're the repository of our sovereignty in this country. And uh, it's there for them to read now. It's there for history to read later.
0: So... You said you lay out a lot of facts in this book, and one of the one of the things that that's that's in this book is is the fact that, or your recollection that Mr. Trump sought the Chinese leader Xi's help with his reelection. Could you tell us how that went?
1: Well, this was in a meeting, a bilateral meeting between uh, Trump and Xi and their advisors and and staff uh, in Osaka last year at the G20 summit, and uh, but it was not the only time when the subject came up, and uh, I've laid out a formulation of what the president uh, said in the book, and uh, that's a formulation I agreed to with the uh, pre-publication review uh, people uh, reviewing the book uh, at the White House, so I'll stick with the precise language I used in the book, but it was clear that this was uh, Uh, A linkage of the uh, agricultural purchases with the prospect for uh, Trump in the farm states.
0: Another thing, um, were you, speaking of another issue in another situation, were you aware there was intelligence that we hear now that was produced about Russia paying bounties to kill U.S. troops, uh, paying that bounty to the Taliban to kill U.S. troops in Afghanistan?
1: Well, I've seen that report. I was asked about it by the Associated Press. I'm, I'm not going to comment on it because I don't disclose classified information. Uh, the, the administration has talked a lot about uh, that, uh, that uh, intelligence uh, this year. That, uh, that particular story supposedly about me was actually well over a year ago. So I think it's a completely different circumstance, but in any event, I just uh, don't think it's appropriate to comment on it.
0: All right, so let me ask this then. Have you ever had a conversation with the president about that idea or that allegation? Uh
1: you know, I I don't want to get into distinguishing between what I what what I was supposedly uh, talking to him about back in 2019 and today. I'll just talk hypothetically about where we are now. Uh if uh, if that if that intelligence came to us whether it was Uh, verified by 20 bishops swearing an oath that it was true or not. uh, I think that's something you go to the president on and say, look, just as a heads up here, we're hearing this, we're checking it out further. But uh, since we've told the British and others with us in Afghanistan, just in case the prime minister of Great Britain calls and asks you about it, you ought to know it's out there.
0: And what do you make of how it's being handled um, now? What what we've been told is that you know this existed. This this intelligence existed, but uh, it wasn't briefed to the president because it wasn't verified. Do you think this was based on what you know verified enough? If it uh, if it exists. Well, let me make
1: the let me make the analytical point that's important first, because I think a lot of people, including some at the White House who are talking about it, don't understand how the intelligence process works. Uh, there are not two categories of intelligence. You know, over here you have your nice verified intelligence, and then over there you have your unverified intelligence, and sort of creeps along, and then a bell rings, and it becomes good and verified, and then you can talk about it. Intelligence, like most of information in human life, uh, covers a spectrum of credibility and, and confidence. And uh, you've got to make judgments along the way about your level of confidence, the uh, amount of corroboration, how many sources, which, which, uh, uh, which parts of it you may have less confidence in, uh, and it's never perfect. There's never a verified block of granite that uh, you know absolutely to be true. So this idea that if only it had been verified, they would have told the president is a false standard. That's just not the way it works. And as I said a moment ago, that's why I would have said, look, we've got some information. We're, we're, not, uh, we're, we're still checking it out. Uh, but when a nuclear power pays terrorists to kill Americans, uh, I think that's pretty serious. I think the president ought to have, as I say, a heads up. We're not saying it's absolutely true. We're not necessarily proposing action immediately. Uh, but you need to think about this, and, uh, and we need to think about it, too.
0: Ambassador Bolton, how would you characterize the way things worked in, 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 in the White House um, while you were working for, with uh, the, the National Security Council and with, with, with President Trump? How would you characterize the, I guess, the mood and the way that things actually operated there?
1: Well, I think they they operated the, the way the president wanted to operate, uh, and every president is entitled to have their own uh, their own style and their own approach and their own process. Uh, some work better than others. I I think this one is uh, in the national security space that uh, that I can attest to. Uh, it's uh, it does not serve American interest not to have clearly defined objectives, not to have a path to get from A to B. Uh, not to be uh, consistent over a sustained period of time to solve problems that uh, are very complicated and not subject to whim and impulse and uh, and ready resolution if if the problems could have been solved quickly they would have been solved quickly a long time ago so uh, we were always uh, worried, and, uh, and I, uh, that concern goes well beyond yours truly. There were p- plenty of other senior advisors, and I lay out some of that in the book, who understood that uh, the president's approach to national security decision-making uh, was not conducive to, to, uh, to a strong and consistent American policy.
0: Do you believe you did enough to uh, get him to do the right thing in situations where perhaps he wasn't, did those around him go far enough in your in your estimation?
1: Well, I, I don't think we did. Obviously, because we never changed his behavior. Now, I mean, the the uh, you, you do what you can up until the point where you're not having any impact anymore, and then you resign. That's why there's, uh, or you get fired, which is why there's such a large alumni association uh, from the administration. Uh, I think uh, we all made mistakes. I certainly made my share. They're they're included in the book. uh, But how long you stay is a a very difficult personal decision. I've gotten criticism from from friends and opponents alike, Uh, some saying you should have resigned after the first 30 days. It was clear that uh, uh, he was out of control and you weren't having an impact. And I've been criticized by people who have said uh, you had a duty to stay until the very end. Uh, You know, I I had to make my own decision. Others made their decision. Unless you've walked in our shoes, I think it's uh, difficult to criticize.
0: And speaking of your shoes, sir, you knew a lot. You learned a lot. You saw a lot. You witnessed a lot. And I understand there are some legal um, constraints there. But uh, what do you say to those who said, if you knew all the things that we're learning about now, why didn't you act on them before more forcefully?
1: Well, I did what I think any responsible official should do. I informed the White House counsel of several of these issues. I informed the attorney general. They're both men of integrity, and I assumed they would do their duty. Um, When when I left, uh, the uh, House Democrats were already well along the road to uh, mishandling the impeachment process. I think ultimately my testimony would not have made any difference uh, in the outcome because, many republicans had said even if everything that the democrats argued about ukraine were true the president's conduct did not rise to the level of an impeachable offense so new facts weren't going to change their mind on it uh... i've i've tried to be loyal to the constitution to my philosophy and i hope ultimately to the american people i've, I've written uh... the story as accurately as i possibly could Uh, and uh, the people who are the ultimate uh, repository of legitimacy in our system uh, can make up their minds whether they agree with it, disagree with it, or whatever.
0: Um, This is the last question, I guess, and uh, I'll just throw three things out there for you, and uh, feel free to answer as as much and as long as you can. Um, Venezuela, Iran, North Korea, assess them as threats to the U.S., and what you know about what was being done to deal with them.
1: Well, I think North Korea is a substantial threat. I think we wasted two years on theater, uh, failed negotiations. The outcome I think clearly demonstrated just a couple weeks ago when North Korea literally blew up uh, a building it had constructed for liaison negotiations with South Korea. They've made progress on nuclear weapons and missiles, and uh, we, we facilitated that. think Iran has been put under enormous pressure, but not enough pressure, because I don't think Iran will ever give up the pursuit of nuclear weapons until the regime of the Ayatollahs is overthrown. Uh, And Venezuela, you know, we backed the opposition down there. I would do it again, uh, because the opposition felt in uh, January of 2019 that if they didn't act then, Maduro might cement his position uh, as far as the eye could see. I, I still think we should... Uh, do uh, anything we can in terms of assistance to the opposition and outside pressure to bring that regime in uh, Venezuela down and to get the Russian, Chinese, Iranian, and Cuban influence removed.
0: Ambassador, one very quick thing that popped into my head here, and it won't take long. The night you either resigned or quit, I was actually talking to your staff about an interview. It didn't happen because the next morning we got these conflicting reports about what happened. What happened that led to you leaving?
1: Well, I had a conversation with the president uh on the Monday night and I said to him at uh one point uh, look uh, uh, if if uh, if you want me to resign I'll resign. He said let's let's talk tomorrow morning and then he went off to an event I think in North Carolina. I already had the resignation letter as I say written uh, as I say in the book it had been written several times before. Uh I brought it in uh, the next morning, delivered it to him, went home and uh and uh, when he saw the letter, I think that's when he tweeted that uh, that he had fired me. So I counter-tweeted the facts, and they took control of my Twitter account at that point. And that's one of the things that I spent time after I resigned trying to get back uh, under my control.
0: We've been talking with former National Security Advisor John Bolton about his new book, "A Room with a View." Thanks for your time, sir.
1: Okay, thanks a lot.
0: He also shared some insights into the Russian bounty situation and what he would have done and possibly what he did do but can't talk about right now. Also, he talked about the president's interaction with Chinese leader Xi about re-election. A number of things came up in this conversation. If it seemed a bit rushed, that's because it was. Because it was a book tour interview only scheduled for about 10 minutes. But we'll get more time with him a little later in the summer. In the meantime, back to one of those issues he was talking about, the Russia bounty situation. So the question now is, what should the intelligence community have done or be doing, and specifically the National Security Council, the National Security Advisor? We talk now with Mark Fifley, former Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications and Outreach in the Bush Administration, and he runs a consulting firm called Off the Record Strategies now given what we know, what is the National Security Council doing? What should they be doing?
2: So from the National Security Council, the uh, National Security Advisor, the um, National um, Intelligence Director, the CIA Director, should be meeting in the Situation Room very soon, if they haven't already, and getting their best analysts, their best intelligence officers together, to put together the clearest picture humanly possible on whether or not this did happen, and if so, what does the United States government do in response? Is All it right. sanctions? Is it is it uh, diplomatic activities? Is it a, is it a response for response? Is it is it a is it a cyber type response? And giving the president a clear list of of um, actions to um, to work against the Russian government for this activity that they did against the U.S. and Afghanistan.
0: So given what you just said, you know, it's not likely that military activity would take place or, or, or something obvious um, in a tit for tat based on some other sources that I've spoken to. Do, do you agree with that, though, that they wouldn't get into any military confrontation with them over this?
2: I don't think there's any advantageous reason for the US to get into a military, an overt military action against uh, the Russian government. Uh, But there are some uh, covert or some signals that they can send to the Russians that they see it, they hear it, and they're responding to it.
0: Mm -hmm. So what avenues does the US have to engage in things that aren't overt? to send a message to Russia?
2: Uh, there's, there's a variety of things through um, different um, US in, intelligence uh, apparatus that could be done, whether it's uh, uh, activities against uh, the Russians um, intelligence forces and their version of their intelligence community, um, whether it's, it's uh, signals to Putin that affects him and his leadership personally, Um, whether it's it's opportunities in the field in places like Georgia or Ukraine, there's a whole series of things that can be done that can send the message to Vladimir Putin and his leadership that the US will not and does not stand for this type of activity.
0: Does Russia have any reason to do something like this to the U.S., or is this just a part of the? As one of your former colleagues mentioned to me, is 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 this just a part of Russia's lack of a moral compass? Uh, activity that they just they're just unpredictable.
2: I think that's right, and and I think it's it's survival for uh, Vladimir Putin. It is. Uh, He does not have a strong economic hand right now. Uh,
0: But how how would this, though, Mark, how would this help him survive? Getting, you know, doing something like this to, you know, President Trump is one of the few leaders in the world that will actually talk to Vladimir Putin uh, in a friendly way. So how does this help him?
2: Uh, Vladimir Putin does not look at Donald Trump or the U.S. president from the same standpoint that the U.S. does. Vladimir Putin has been in charge of Russia for more than two decades. He has seen and survived through President Bush. President Bush looked him in the eye and said, I see Vladimir Putin's soul. No, he didn't see Vladimir Putin's soul. President Obama did a reset with Russia eight years later. Uh, Mitt Romney said that the number one foreign policy challenge for the United States was Russia and Barack Obama said, Uh, you're living in the 1980s. Vladimir Putin lives and survives. Donald Trump comes in. Uh, Russia interferes with the election. Donald Trump tries to win over Vladimir Putin with a relationship and personality and he was gonna use his power of persuasion. What's the one living, moving figure through that whole time? Vladimir Putin and his regime, survival. Because he and, and his regime are attempting to survive and thrive in an international world where they don't have a strong economy. They don't have a particularly strong military. They don't have the, the power of uh, persuasion through trade and other activities except for uh, the sale of, of uh, fossil fuels. So they have to use at certain times brute force and um, horrific Covert uh, situations like uh, poisoning um, individuals in the UK and other places, such as this potential um, movement in Afghanistan for bounties, and a way to uh, destabilize the activities that the US and our allies have internationally, in order to, in their viewpoints, keep one step ahead and to continue to survive with. Uh, a authoritarian regime in a difficult environment.
0: What happens to what he's trying to do, the survival routine that he's in based on this this story, this development?
2: So I, I don't think that Vladimir Putin will lose a lot of sleep over this, unfortunately. He should. Um, this is one of numerous international um, experiments and activities that he has, whether what he's doing in Venezuela or Cuba or Iran, uh, relations that he has with North Korea. Uh, His his goal is to sow enough dissension and throw enough curveballs out there that he can be an international player even though he doesn't have the the, the natural or the the usual capabilities of a thriving and um, thoughtful and growing um, country. So if he does a thing like he does in allegedly in Afghanistan, it's just it's to throw things off base for a while. He figures, oh, the U.S. will probably do something. Yeah. But whatever that is, it'll go over quickly. And he's got five or six other uh, actions going on across the the world as well at the same time. Mm -hmm. And he can rule with more autonomy because he doesn't have an election like we have in the U.S. in about 130 days or so. He knows that he's going to be in power as long as the people of Russia will put up with it. And if he is doing some bad actions, some horrific uh, covert things like allegedly he is in Afghanistan, it's a part of doing business in a bad in a bad part of the world.
0: So bad Doing bad things in a bad part of the world, Um, part of what they rely on is the GRU and that outfit that we've been told about called Unit 29155, which has been connected to assassinations and covert actions throughout the world that has a mandate to do nothing but destabilize other governments in the U.S. This situation with the Taliban appears on the face of it to be an act of state-sponsored terrorism if indeed it is, what should the punishment be for that?
2: I, I would look at a whole array of things. I think that you could, you could uh, put uh, onerous uh, Treasury Department sanctions on the leaders of these organizations, including potentially Putin himself, continue to put pressure with our allies in working to um, lessen his effects of what he's doing in places like the Ukraine, um, finding and, and really solidifying relationships with our with our allies uh, across the world so that it's not just the u s against Russia, but it is a coalition of like minded governments and leaders against Russia to uh, put an additional amount of pressure onto the regime and finding ways to hit them where it hurts worse. So you could do some, some cyber activities against, uh, against their energy infrastructure, for example, if that's one opportunity, you could, um, find ways to utilize covert opportunities in different parts of the world that are important to him as a, as, as a way of sending a message. Uh, really what the U S needs to do is have a, uh, real time working intelligence apparatus that is reporting to the president with its best intelligence in real time so that the U.S. can respond to it and we're not having a conversation about it in the New York Times and other publications. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
2: think that's part of the problem is, is that Vladimir Putin is smiling like a Cheshire cat right now because he sees that the U.S., the media, the political parties are all focused on him and his actions and his activities. And that's the worst thing about this in many ways is that he does a a rancid, horrible, alleged covert action in Afghanistan. And he has destabilized the US much like he did in 2016 with the misinformation and the use of social media and other things to, to drive desertion in our political process and now he's doing it again. And when he sees Donald Trump tweeting about it and Adam Schiff, the Congressman from California, um, talking about it and rising the level of the political um, talk about it, that means that it it was a successful opportunity in many ways for the Russian government.
0: You've talked about this uh, real time uh outfit that would report back to the president uh about what russia's going on isn't that what the cia is supposed to do uh
2: between the cia the director of national intelligence the dia and the other the other uh intelligence apparatuses yes and it should be coordinated through the cia through the dni and through the the national security council in, in a way but in some instances um, it's only as good as the funding that it has. It's only as good as the personnel it has. It's only as good as the leadership that it has on the top. And it's only as good as the president who can receive that information, interpret it, and act in a coherent manner.
0: That's Mark Feifley, former deputy national security advisor for strategic communications and outreach in the Bush administration. And currently, he runs off-the-record strategies. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your time. If you have any questions, send me an email at jgreenwtop.com. At That's jgreen, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. Also, if you would like to follow us, please do so on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national and international security news, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. You can sign up at WTOP.com alerts. And you can subscribe to Target USA on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Now.